0: as we come to hear God's word. Father in heaven, we are in need of help this morning. We're in need of guidance. Lord, we're in need of of being renewed in our hope this morning as a church. And so we come to you. We come to the truth of your word. And we ask that you would give us a posture of humility this morning to receive your word. we pray for your power to strengthen us to not merely be hearers of your word, But by your grace to be those who seek to be doers of your word, I pray you'd help me to preach faithfully and clearly that your son Jesus would be exalted. I would ask that you'd you'd work in me as I preach to stir up my affections and remind me of the joy of knowing you And, and so together that we would rejoice in this new life we've been given in Christ, that all who believe in him, filled with your Holy Spirit, have been gathered here this morning to honor you. We pray you'd work in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the difference between contentment and complacency? One, is something to be commended, something uh, that we should embrace, contentment, but complacency is something to be guarded against. I've heard it put like this, contentment is accepting, Complacency is settling. Contentment is accepting what God's given you and making the most of what it is that He's given you where complacency is is settling for mediocrity when you have the responsibility to move forward. Two different things. Contentment acts and complacency watches and ignores in the Christian life, we should pursue contentment and we should flee from complacency. We read elsewhere in the Bible that, that godliness with contentment comes with great gain. We're called as Christians to be content with what we have, to understand that God's given us maybe something different than He's given our neighbor or a fellow church member, and we're called to be content in who He is and what He has given us. But we're never to be complacent. We're never to settle in areas that we're responsible to seek to move forward. You see, the Christian life is found in being content in Christ and who He is, that His grace is sufficient for us. But we must always guard against complacency in our spiritual growth, in growing as a Christian, in growing in faith and love. In obedience to God's word, you see, it's urgent in this life that we've been given here on Earth, to give ourselves to what will matter in eternity. as we've been in the book of First Thessalonians, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned, there are three things that will last forever: God, His word and the souls of people. three things that will last forever in eternity. Three things that you'll never waste your life giving yourself to. Three things that you want if you you get a deathbed, not all of us will. Some people think, oh, we're going to have a deathbed one day. You might be like my cousin that I got a call last Sunday morning that he died in his sleep. Thankfully, he knew the Lord and put his faith in Jesus 10 years ago. But not everyone, it was a reminder to me, not everyone gets a deathbed. He went to bed at 53, 53 years of age, seemingly healthy, did not wake up. What a reminder that is to all of us, a sense of urgency we're to have about what really matters in life. And if we're honest, far too often we feel like things around us that really don't matter are so urgent. And things that really do matter, we overlook or take for granted or just happen to settle into mediocrity. And Praise God that He's given us one another as a church to encourage each other this morning, meaning to encourage each other, to, to build each other up, to point each other forward, that we would look back together on Christ, on his death and resurrection, and that we would look forward to his return, the day that we go to be with him, whichever comes first, and that we would live this life he's given us in a way that seeks to please him more and more. You see, it's it's urgent that we would give ourselves to what would last forever, to God, to his word, and to the souls of people. And I wonder how often do you have a sense of urgency about things that don't truly matter in eternity, and a sense of complacency around things that do. It's my hope this morning, the Lord would stir us up by way of reminder. That's a lot of what preaching is, a lot of Christian preaching is stirring you up by way of reminder, even in this letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul's saying, you've heard these things taught. He wasn't bringing new instruction to them. He was encouraging them and building them up. And we all need that this morning as a body of believers. Amen? And so we come to hear God's word asking him to work in us. As we look at First Thessalonians, we find that having a sense of urgency around what truly matters will overflow into faithfulness in our everyday lives lives. So the Apostle Paul urges them as a church to continue on, to keep growing. He has urgent matters in chapter 4 that he's been addressing them on. It's a chapter about living a life pleasing to God more and more. We've already looked at the first matter that had to deal with sexual purity. And here this morning, we'll look at two more urgent matters. This agenda set by the Apostle Paul himself and inspired scripture by the Holy Spirit, two more urgent matters he addresses them in brotherly love and living quietly. Brotherly love and living quietly. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 4, and the best way to stay engaged in this sermon is to open up the Bible, to open up a copy of God's Word. If you want to use that pew Bible right in front of you, take that, open that up to page 987, 987. Page 987, you'll find 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. And uh, if you've come this morning and you don't own a Bible, use that Bible this morning. Take it home with you. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Let me read for us this short passage, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, as we begin our time together. "'Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia.' But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. It's the word of the Lord. The main idea that I want you to see this morning as we look at this passage, the main idea is this, aspire to love increasingly and live quietly, aspire to love increasingly, and to live quietly. A little bit of context as we jump in. The Apostle Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church, it's a model of of being content while guarding against growing complacent. So he spends the first couple of chapters just thanking God for what he's done, like content, like look at, look at the evidence of God's grace and faithfulness. This, this church is growing in faith and love. And then you get to chapter 4, and he says, don't, don't settle on past victories, so to speak. Like keep growing, keep going, seek to please God more and more. So in chapter 4, he urges them against growing complacent, against coasting off of past spiritual Victories. There's a transition in chapter 4 to this string of exhortations, reminding these Christians of the commands of Christ that they would live out this new life that they've already been given in Christ. They would seek to please God more and more. They would grow in that ambition to honor God. So he urges them to continue to grow in a life that pleases God. Now here in verse 9, we see this phrase at the very beginning of verse 9, now concerning, which shows us he's shifting to address two more topics they should aim to please God in more and more, brotherly love and living quietly. And the instructions here for Christians, they involve how to live your life in the church and how to live your life in the world. Brotherly love in the church, living quietly in the world. So what we see here are instructions for an everyday life that pleases God. That's what I want to outline to be this morning, two instructions for everyday life that pleases God. The first instruction we find in verses 9 through 10, love increasingly, love increasingly. Now, the first topic that Paul addressed back in verse 3 that was connected to them, living a life pleasing to God, the very first thing he wanted to urge them on was the matter of sexual purity. It's God's will for Christians to abstain or to keep away from sexual immorality in all of its forms. And now we see in verses 9 and 10, it's God's will for Christians to love increasingly. So second topic, again, his agenda that he set What he wants to urge them in is is brotherly love. Christian, if you're going to please God more and more in your daily life, it's urgent that you grow in brotherly love. Now, this isn't the first time in this letter that we've seen a call to grow in love. Back in chapter 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul had a prayer request for this church, and he, he prayed his main prayer in verse 12 of chapter 3 is that they would increase and abound in love for one another and for all. He asked for the Lord Jesus to increase their love for one another and for everyone. So their their growth in love was a priority in Paul's prayer for that local church. And we said back then, and we'll say it again this morning, that should be a priority in our prayers for our own life and for our local church. That God would help us to grow in love and help our local church to grow in love for one another. Now, prayer is central to the Christian ministry. It was at the the core of of, of Paul's labor for churches. He prayed for these churches, but prayer was not the stopping point. And so it should be in our lives. We should pray for our own souls, but then we need to do something. There's prayer and there's work. There's prayer and there's grace-driven effort that God uses. In fact, he calls for to contribute to our spiritual growth. So notice that Paul prays, and then he keeps instructing. He prays, and then he urges them. And if we're going to grow as Christians, pray, keep hearing God's Word, pray, keep hearing God's Word, and seek to obey Him. Just as you're doing this morning, position yourself to hear God's Word and make it a priority to obey Him. Now, Paul's instructing them here in this letter. We see in verse 9, he's already instructed them on this matter. So this isn't new teaching. He was was with them in person for a very short period of time. Again, Acts chapter 17 is when you can go back and read on that. He was with them just, just three short weeks. But in that short visit, he found it to be a priority to instruct them to love one another. He taught them the importance of brotherly love in the Christian life because that the way the church loves one another serves as a witness to the watching world around us. That's what Jesus himself said in John 13, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. Notice in verse 9, what's mentioned specifically is brotherly love. That's a, a family love. It pictures love between actual siblings. So the church is a, a family. When you repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, at the moment of conversion, you are reconciled vertically in a relationship with God, the God who created you, the God that you sinned against. When you repent of your sin, when you confess your sin, you uh, agree with God in his word about what sin is and turn to him for forgiveness. forgiveness and put your faith in Jesus Christ and His death on the cross for sin and His resurrection from the dead for new spiritual life that comes through Christ, you're immediately reconciled vertically, forgiven of your sin, the righteousness of Christ counted as yours, which is the only way that you can please God. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But you're brought into this relationship with God And then the next thing that happens, you're adopted into God's family. This all happens at conversion. You come to know God as your father, and therefore other people who've been reconciled to God, they're part of your spiritual family. That's why we call uh, members of this church brothers and sisters in the Lord. That might sound odd to you if you're not a Christian, but that's a, a biblical way to think. This is our spiritual family. And therefore we're called to love one another as brother and sister in the Lord. We're to treat each other as family. And the way you love your biological brother and sister, at least the way you should, that you show that type of love towards your spiritual family. So don't think of church as just something to do. Think of church as a people to love. Don't think of church as just something else on your schedule to do, to attend. I'm going to go to church at 10.30 a.m. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that was on your schedule and that you came. The Lord gave you strength to be here. But think of this church as a family, a people, to love. We've seen before in our study that the Thessalonians, they're doing well spiritually. So there's no like, big issue to correct them about here. Read in verse 9 and 10. They already know what to do, and they are doing it. They're practicing this brotherly love for one another. Paul writes there in verse 9, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So they've already received this teaching. Paul says they've been taught by God, which I think is the same idea he mentioned back in verse 2, that the teaching they received from Paul as an apostle, that came with God's authority. I think it certainly means that. It may also have it in view that they were taught by the Spirit of God, which is certainly true. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit in your life. If there's any love in your life, that's not because you mustered up enough love in your life to start loving people. Galatians 5, what's the first fruit of the Spirit listed? Love. So the Spirit of God produces love in us for other Christians. Christ died for the people of this church. Christ loves the people of this church. And if the Spirit of Christ is in you, you will love his people too. So, God teaches us, even in the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, verses 32 through 34, the prophet looked forward to that day that God would write his law on the hearts of all of his people, and therefore, in a sense, directly teach his people his law, which is summed up in loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Either way, they didn't need to be introduced to new teaching. He's not seeking to persuade them of something that they're not doing, they're already practicing brotherly love there in their church family and throughout the region. So Macedonia had about five cities in the region spread out, and evidently this church was known for showing love to those other churches. And it doesn't go into what exactly they did to show love, but it could have been anything from showing hospitality, because there wasn't, weren't like holiday and expresses back then. Hospitality was bringing in strangers, so perhaps they were bringing in, letting other Christians stay in their homes. It could have been uh, through financial help and support sent to those other churches. It could have been praying for those other churches. Whatever it was, they were loving those other churches. That was known. They were growing as an example of love. And notice that while they know this teaching, and notice that while they're applying this teaching, Paul doesn't stop urging them. There's a sense of, of urgency, an urgent matter that they grow in love more and more. Verse 10, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. It's urgent in the Christian life to increase in the depth of your love for other Christians. There's a sense of urgency that I hope that we feel every Sunday as we hear God's Word. If we want to not be merely hearers of the Word, but be doers of the Word, it means we want to show up expecting, asking God to change us as we worship on Sunday mornings, that we're reminded of God's love for us and that we seek to live that out. Growing churches are churches that are growing in love for one another. Brother and sister in the Lord, I wonder, do you have a sense of urgency when it comes to growing in love for others? There's a lot of things probably like around January, you know, we're doing New Year's resolutions. If you do those, those are fine things to do. But how often are those resolutions mainly about like our personal spiritual disciplines? Good things for us to have resolutions on, but, but not the only thing. If all we're focused on is, is my quiet time and my scripture memory plan and my exercise and my diet and the things that I want, if that's all that's the depths of what we're focused on well then you'll probably be in physically good shape you'll probably memorize a lot of passages but that's not the stopping point continues on like how can i grow in the fruit of the spirit galatians 5 is a wonderful place to turn a regular prayer list just to pray through those fruits of the spirit and if we do that we'll be praying regularly for god to grow us in in love do we have a sense of urgency when it comes to things like that growing in love for others You see, the presence of knowledge, the presence of obedience, it should not chip away at a sense of urgency to do this more and more. Brother and sister in Christ, let's pray and ask God that we wouldn't lose a sense of urgency in this area in the same way that Paul was urging the Thessalonians, you and I, need that urgency. Well, consider what complacency looks like in this area of loving others. Complacency, I think, looks something settling into mediocrity. Complacency may look something like mainly loving those in this church that you feel like love you. Well, they're nice to you on Sunday, and so you're nice to them. If you have an awkward conversation with someone, well, that was weird, or hey, they didn't seem like they really want to talk, then you're kind of on, back to the people that love you. I think that's complacency. Uh, Mainly loving people who agree with you. Man, was that ever the case back in 2020 and 2021? I mean, I've never seen dividing lines drawn over so many different issues. If you agree with me politically or socially, or all the the current issues, like, you're, you're my people. And I think it tested, do we really want a community? You can say you want a diverse community, but I wonder if that is you just want a picture that looks diverse on Instagram versus a group of people who may think differently about things. And I can disagree with you, and we can even have conversations candidly disagreeing on that matter, but I still love you. You're my brother and sister, in the Lord, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong on these matters that I am so convinced of right now. Maybe 10 years from now, I'll look back and think, yeah, I had strong feelings about that, and I was wrong. It's the humility to, to submit to one another. Brother and sister, that's what it looks like to love one another. That, that, that's something that the world longs to have that it can't, and that's a former way of living. And when we put our faith in Jesus and come into this community, the community of the local church, we can seek to love one another, to be patient, to show grace. Complacency might, in this area might be loving those who are like you, the same life stage, same education level, from the same place that you're from. Complacency and love happens as you grow less connected to people in your local church, as you become more spotty, in your attendance. As you become less relationally connected, you can't grow in in loving others if you're not around them much, if you're not seeking to invest in relationships. Uh, Brother and sister in the Lord, give yourself to what will last forever. We will be living forever with other members of this church. We will. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I hope you come to know Jesus. I hope that you will come to put your faith in Him and live with Him forever and that you'll be with us forever worshiping our Lord. And we want to give ourselves to investing in the souls of those who don't know Jesus, that they might put their faith in Christ as they hear the gospel, but also those who know Jesus, that we would grow in our relationships because we will live together forever in heaven. You see, one of the greatest activities you can give yourself to is to seek to continually love other members of this local church. It should impact every ministry in our church. Everything we do in this church is to have its aim towards loving God and loving others here in this local church. Well, what does love look like in a local church? I think it involves feelings and actions. Again, sometimes love is wrongly defined as mainly being about feeling. Well, I think it's both. We, we want to have feelings towards others, but the reality is we don't always have warm, strong, fuzzy feelings towards others. And sometimes it takes that step of of serving. Isn't that true in every arena of life? I mean, isn't that true in your marriage? Isn't that true in friendship? Isn't that true with loving people at work? It's not like you always walk in on Monday morning and it's like, all right, here we go and I'm gonna love you this morning. I love everything about my life and this is great. Well, no, sometimes we just feel like this is boring and tired of this and I wish something else was going on. And we gotta give ourselves to faithfully serving who God's placed us around. And as we do that, Oftentimes, those feelings will catch up with that, and feeling produces more action and produces more feeling. Some ways that love looks like in a local church having kind thoughts towards others. I prayed that this morning. You you can't love others in this church if you envy them, if you covet what God's given them. You can't love others in this local church, it's going to be difficult. Uh, Practicing forbearance, being patient with one another, is one way we love others in this church not being easily offended. There's some things that are offensive, but other things that we can bear that offense and say, I'm not going to be easily offended. First Corinthians 13 spells out a number of these. Love does not insist on its own way. How often does that get in the way of life in a local church? That it really comes down to what your way is, not what God's way is. Love involves not saying rude things to or about someone. Love involves forgiving others, as we've been forgiven by Jesus. I would encourage you to think more about this. You can read through 1 Corinthians 13, a great list there, and just apply that to brotherly love. What does that look like to loving your brothers and sisters in the Lord? And we need to consider that that a growing church is not just too often, I think, in American evangelicalism. We mainly think about it numerically. Numbers aren't unimportant, but it's not the the main measuring stick. I, I think spiritual growth is what God is most concerned with. And in fact, we see in this passage, spiritual growth will lead to this witness by which we hope greater numbers of people hear the gospel and end up putting their faith in Jesus. It's how churches grow to unfold more and more people into the life of the local church through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some simple ways that I've seen this lived out here at OBC, you all stick around after church to greet one another and talk. It's something we were very intentional about in the early days. We used to do that with lemonade and cookies and coffee, and maybe we'll bring that back one day. But we don't need that these days because you all stick around anyways and talk to one another and interact with one another. And we pray regularly for having encouraging conversations. That's one way to love others. Uh, Having encouraging conversations is one of the, the, the greatest ministry efforts of love you could have in this local church. That if you've gone the whole week and you, for whatever reason, haven't had an encouraging conversation, I pray that that ends here. I pray that it ends here at 12 or 12.05, whenever we get done with this, Like that that you have encouraging conversations after this service. Another way I see you all loving one another is meeting practical needs. So many meals get made in this church to care for people who are in need. The Benevolence Fund, which, which Roy Britton spoke on last Sunday evening at the members meeting, is a way that you're meeting financial needs and opportunities here in this local church. So many of you that serve in this church So many of you that were here very early this morning working on music and and sound to be able to love and serve the people of this church as you serve the Lord. I'm thankful for the examples that I see. I think we're like the Thessalonian church in many ways, meaning I would look out and say, praise the Lord for the evidence of this grace of God in our church. And let's keep going. Let's keep growing. Let's keep giving ourselves to pleasing God more and more. Well, second instruction for the everyday Christian life. We find in verses 11 through 12, live quietly. Live quietly. We're called to love one another, but that love doesn't stop just in the local church. It goes outside of the church to the world around us. So brotherly love overflows from the church to loving the world around us. At the end of verse 10, we see that Paul has urged the Thessalonians toward growth and loving one another. And then in verse 11, he continues that thought as this love overflows to loving the world around them. And in verse 11, he calls them to aspire, which means to make it your ambition. And there in verse 11, we see a threefold ambition that he's urging them to grow in, threefold, to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands. To so have this ambition to please God and these three ways to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands. All three of these exhortations, they overlap. They start with living quietly and work their way out from there. So before we jump into each command, let's first look at the end of the passage in verse 12. You see the phrase there at the beginning of verse 12, so that, which gives us a purpose clause. So that the purpose and the reward of this way of living, we see in verse 12, so that, you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Outsiders is referring to those outside of the church, that those who are not Christians, those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So that the goal of living quietly is that your conduct would, would stand out in such a way that it attracts those outside of the church and points them to Jesus. So it's just a powerful witness of of commending the message that we are called to verbally proclaim. So so brother and sister in the Lord, it is important for you and I to consider that the way that you live your life before the world, it matters. Your life at home, your life at work, your life at, at school, it matters. It doesn't just matter what it looks like here on Sunday at 1030. It matters every day. Now, some context of what was going on, uh, from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we know that there were apparently some Christians in this Thessalonian church who were exploiting the charity of wealthier Christians, and that would have been noticed by those outside of the church as being lazy, which would be a bad witness. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, we read this, "...for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies." Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So that is something that was going on at church that wasn't healthy, and the Apostle Paul is addressing it here in the positive. Here's what needs to happen. So with that in view, let's view these three ambitions. The first ambition in verse 11, to aspire to live quietly. That means to live peacefully with others, free of conflict and hostility towards others. This speaks to a peaceful, quiet demeanor. So so quiet faithfulness is a witness to the transforming power of the gospel. And it might be odd because at first you may think, well, living loudly is the way to commend the gospel to others. But here we see living quietly, meaning peacefully, is a, a foundational way that we commend this gospel of peace with God, found in Jesus. That's the way we do that to those around us. Now, a quiet demeanor is more than just your words, but it's certainly not less. It goes something along with James chapter 1, verse 19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If you want to aspire to live quietly, you should realize that your opinions don't need to be heard on everything. How often do you withhold offering your opinion? How often do you reserve making a judgment? In our flesh, we love to make snap judgments. Lots of judgments need to be made immediately, but there are others that we can reserve judgment on. How often do you reserve making a judgment? When's the last time that you chose not to voice a criticism? At home, at work, here at church. You see, wise living involves numbering your words, being careful and choosy with what you say and when you say it and how it is that you say it. Now consider that living quietly involves both your words and your mind. It's not less than your words, it is more than that. I asked a number of you this week as I was preparing. What's a challenge for us in living quietly as a church? I asked that to a number of you, sometimes, some over lunch, some in the office, some other places. And what everyone mentioned, this was interesting, everyone mentioned social media. I thought that was interesting. Everyone brought that up. That could be a challenge to living with a quiet mind. Now, two aspects of, of social media. One is what you put out there, like kind of what you say. Another is what you take in. And I don't see, maybe I'm missing it, but I don't see many of our members saying crazy things on social media. That has happened in the past, but I don't, I don't see like it happening like right now. And so I, I don't want to address that so much as I do. What are we taking in? You see, Christianity is a religion about filling the mind and filling our mind with truth. And social media offers us an endless opportunity to fill our mind with all sorts of different things. So how is your social media making it difficult for you to have a quiet mind? Well, different platforms offer something different. Instagram, Insta stories. In an instant, you have knowledge about everyone's awesome life. Like in an instant, like an instant story, like an Instagram. You you know what they ate last night. You know where they were this weekend. Uh, FOMO, fear of missing out, is a real thing because you see what they did this weekend compared to what you were doing Saturday morning when it was raining and thinking, man, what am I going to do with this day? And they were were having an awesome time. It's easy to to kind of take that in and to feel yourself starting to envy, to covet the lives of others, uh, growing sad as you see others' lives, maybe even things you weren't invited to, and you reflect on your, your own life. I would say social media intake is not, if you have that experience, it's not helping you have a quiet mind. So take a break. Get it off your phone. See if that's helpful. See if it encourages you to use your phone for other purposes. Phones aren't bad. Social media is not bad. There's good things. Maybe you're following the wrong people. Um, There's good things that you can give yourself to and and good resources. I find some of my best, like, book recommendations and and good podcasts and things. So it's not bad. I think we we don't need, I've heard it play this, we we don't need to give it a full embrace, right? But uh, you can kind of give it the good old side hug and just say, like, hey, how this, like, how this helps me, I want to give it a side hug, but I'm going to hold that a little loosely because there are other times I may need to, to let go. Other platforms like Twitter, the algorithm, it runs off of what will keep you there. And so guess what keeps us in places like that? Anger and anxiety. Those emotions are really powerful to kind of keep us locked in. And whether that's social media or cable news media, anger and anxiety, well, that's the opposite of a quiet mind. Being angry and anxious, the, the issue du jour, the controversy or conflict of the week. And then there's this expectation that you are up to speed on the issue du jour and that you have a quick judgment about it. And sometimes some of you ask me, What do you think about this? I'm like, I don't know. And I, I don't want to have an opinion on that. Like, it just can feel like you have to have an opinion on everything and every matter every issue, things that have nothing to do with my life or my community or my friendships or relationships. If you want to live a quiet life, you have to guard your mind and heart from the wrong type of noise. And we have to give ourselves to filling our mind with the truth of God's word first and foremost. Some of you may need to make it a point to not live so much in the digital world and to be here more in these relationships in this local church to have more face-to-face conversations, to be shaped more by the members of this local church and how you think about even some of these issues in society. Now, I want to be clear. Let's not mistake living a quiet life with not speaking up when you should. It's not what this is about. We are called to speak the truth in love. This certainly doesn't mean keep quiet on biblical truth. This doesn't mean be quiet in evangelism. I mean, you can read back in Acts 17 that Paul's trip to Thessalonica, when he first went there, his message and his ministry in chapter 17, verse 6 of Acts, was upsetting the world, quote, turning the world upside down. So it's not like Paul was like, well, I don't want to upset things here in Thessalonica, so I'm just going to be quiet and kind of tiptoe into the synagogue and preach kind of just real quiet. No, like his message upset the world. We, we have to be clear, brother and sister, that often what upsets the world, there's two main areas I've heard our evangelism, and our ethics. People will love us if we're just nice, and we just show up, and we clean up the break room, or we do things that are good things to do as a Christian. But when you transition to evangelism and ethics, that's when that offense comes. So living quietly does not mean shying away from the truth, shying away from evangelism. It certainly doesn't mean having a private faith. Our faith is always personal, but it's never private. Our faith is public in that sense, where we want to proclaim the gospel of Jesus verbally to those around us. Living a quiet and peaceful life does not mean that we cease to stand firm on biblical truth that shapes our ethics. There is an ethical battle that's being brought to us that we are not asking for, we don't want, and we're not picking the battle. I don't know many of you are going to show up at work tomorrow and say, I want to state my Christian position on sexuality and gender. I don't think any of you are doing that. Most of you just want to go to work and be faithful and quiet about the responsibility you've been given to. You. You've been hired to do a certain job. You've been hired to, to go to the bank and to perform that. And, and I know many of you, you want to give yourself to that, to be a hard worker and to work with integrity. And we know that here that in a few months, in the month of June, with Pride Month, you're going to be asked to affirm, to speak out on things that the Bible says clearly are wrong and are evil. And I, I feel terrible for many of you in that. And we want to provide counsel for you as elders and prayer. If you get in a difficult place, what do I do in that? I'm not coming into my office trying to voice those, but this is being brought to me and I'm being put in a position where I don't know what to do. We want to help you with that because certainly living quiet doesn't mean you compromise the truth. There is a right way and time and manner in which you can think about what you should say and when you should say and how you should say it. But let me be clear Living quietly doesn't mean compromising your faith. We should be loud about the right things, loud about God, who He is, and what He's done in Jesus. Well, the second ambition there, aspire to mind your own affairs. Aspire to mind your own affairs. This one's really easy to know what it means. It literally translates, in fact, the CSB Bible translates it this way, mind your own business. So the CSB Bible says, mind your own business. So that's actually a biblical principle and concept that you and I mind our own business. What that means is be focused on the work in front of you. Don't be focused on your neighbor's work. Be focused on your work. Don't be focused on everyone else's parenting. Focus on your own parenting. Don't be focused on everyone else's marriage. Focus on your own marriage. Attend to the business God's given you. Don't meddle in other people's business. So even in 2 Thessalonians 3, it's don't be a busybody. That's a word used there. Don't be a busybody. If you're attending to your own business, to your own affairs, you will find little time to wrongly be concerned with the business of others. And when you're not minding your own affairs, you will not live quietly. Judging others in your, and being judgmental. That's probably a way, way to say it. Being judgmental towards others in your community uh, being nosy and gossiping about others, wanting to get the tea or spill the tea. I mean, who has the tea? Who's going to spill the tea? That's being a busybody. Getting all the details on the lives of others is not being focused on your own affairs. Now, again, it's important to say what this doesn't mean. Not all of life is private. There are some things that are our business as a church. So our church covenant makes our holiness our corporate business. So this doesn't mean that if I see another member of my church living in sin that I just ignore it. So I'm staying out of that. That's private. That's not my life. That's not what that means. We should care about each other's holiness. And when there are clearly sinful issues there, uh, we should lovingly engage and speak the truth in love. But consider, I think what this means, consider the affairs God's given you. A good way to think about this, and I know that, that uh, the ladies had uh, at, the, uh, at the recent ladies' retreat a uh, breakout session on this of just your roles in your life. What has God called you to? Well, look at your roles. For me, uh, I'm a Christian, I'm a husband, I'm a father. By God's grace, I'm still a son, even a grandson. I visited my 92 year old grandmother yesterday, I'm still a grandson. Uh, I'm a brother. I've got a brother that's alive. Uh, Those are all responsibilities I want to maintain. I'm a pastor. I have a church family. Responsibilities from the Lord here. That's a lot. And if I'm thinking about those roles growing as a Christian, growing as a husband, growing as a father, uh, growing in my extended family, growing with my church family that's a lot to keep me busy. That's a lot for me to be responsible for, a lot for me to pray about, a lot for me to seek to grow in. And if I'm giving myself to those roles faithfully, I will have little time to meddle in affairs that are not my own. Well, what are the roles God's given you? Everyone has them here in this room. That Those were mine. Yours might be Christian. Regardless of your marital status, there's a role there to maintain if you're single. Uh, that's a role God's given you. Something to be embraced and to be stewarded. Uh, some of you may work in an office. Some of you may work at, at home. Some of you may stay home with kids. That, that's a role God's given you. Uh, something he's called you to Presently, how can you be more faithful in those areas? That's what it looks like to mind your own affairs. And then finally, a third ambition: aspire to work with your hands, which means don't be lazy. Earn your own living and don't depend on others. Is what's in in mind. I mean, if you're able-bodied and have the ability, then work. The exhortation is to labor diligently. So Paul's remedy to being a busybody: work with diligence. Now, the goal of being dependent on no one certainly does not mean that you will never need help. Again, I mentioned we have a benevolence fund here. Uh, This isn't addressing if you're unemployed or underemployed. It certainly doesn't address if you have unexpected medical bills or financial hardship. That is a loving act for us to care for other church members in that way. So there's a difference between needing help and rightly receiving that. And if you need help, come and talk to any of our elders or the deacons of member care. Uh, we want to help you in that. But there's a difference between needing help and taking advantage of others. Again, in 2 Thessalonians 3, apparently there were some in the church being idle, lazy, taking advantage of others who were working hard, and that was a bad witness. So, so what's committed here is diligent work. And when you work faithfully in whatever work God has given you, in your career, in a temporary job, your work in the home, your work as a student, when you're diligent in that work, God is pleased. Yeah, I'm thankful I learned how to do that as a student. Uh, We worked uh, on summer projects I went on as a student. We worked, I worked at Winn-Dixie, an old grocery store, slicing up melons and packaging berries one summer. It was kind of mindless work. I worked at uh, McDonald's the next summer. I worked with McDonald's for a number of years in high school too. Ate a lot of Big Macs in my time there. And, uh, but it, it, it just taught me, you know, being in a place with a, a place, I didn't see myself there long-term, but it taught me, especially on those summer projects, hey, how do we seek to be faithful in this job, to work hard, to be kind, to do a good job, uh, to try to share the gospel with the people that we worked with, which by God's grace, we were able to do. It just taught me how to do that in that kind of very basic sense as a college student, which I think helped set me up later on. Uh, how can I please God whenever he's given me to do now? You see, the goal is to do the work God has given you. And when you do your work and give yourself the diligent labor, you'll have little time to meddle in the business of others. You'll work with your own hands, and you will end up becoming a provider for others, not a consumer, but a provider, and not one who's wrongly dependent on others. And and some of you may need to hear that, of, of working harder. And some of you may need to hear that your greatest aim is not your career. Your greatest aim is to please God. Your greatest aim is not your career. Your greatest aim is to please your God. And the goal here in all of this is that your conduct would stand out in a way that attracts the world. How you live your daily life, it sends a message to the world around you of what you believe about Christ. Let me repeat that. How you live your daily life sends a message to the world around you about what you believe about Christ? What does your conduct at work say about what you believe about Christ? Those maybe under your authority at work, maybe even your supervisor, co-workers, how you conduct yourself at work, what is that saying right now to those around you about what you believe about Christ? Brother and sister, these are good aspirations to live quietly, uh, to to mind our own affairs, to work with our our hands. And when you put these three ambitions together in summary, we should do the work God has put before us with a quiet demeanor with all diligence and the aim in all of it to please God. See, when Christians love one another, When they live in a peaceful manner and work diligently, this forms a powerful witness of the gospel to the watching world around us. So to sum it up, Oakhurst Baptist Church, what I want to say is this, love loudly and live quietly. Love loudly. Live quietly. The gospel of Jesus Christ has taught us about love and peace that's found only in Jesus. Just as Jesus has loved you, live out that love and, and love those around you. Just as God has bought, brought peace into your life, an inner peace with Him through Jesus Christ, extend that peace to others. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's ask the Lord that we would rightly be content and that He would guard us from complacency. And so I, I leave you with this question. What would it look like for you this week to grow in brotherly love and in living quietly? Now, let's take a moment now to bow and pray. I want to give you just a time of silent prayer. I know we'll do that at the end too. I'll give you just a brief time of silent prayer, then I'll close this out and pray that the Lord would do that in our lives. Let's bow and pray. Lord, as your people, we thank you for the grace and the love and the kindness and the patience that you have shown us and continue to show us in your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would be transformed and changed by the truth of the gospel, the truth of your ongoing love for your people, the, the truth of your sustaining power that keeps us in your love, that we have the promise that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And we pray that in that confidence, Lord, that we would extend that to those around us. We pray that we would along uh, to show that brotherly love to those here in our church. And that we'd be those who seek to love everyone we come into contact with, Lord. And especially where we spend our everyday lives, Lord. That you would grow us as your disciples, grow us as a holy witness of your love. And so we turn to you, Lord. We ask for your help. We ask for your grace. We ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and to sustain us as your disciples in the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.